0: Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host, Haywood Evans and Eddie Rye. We have a number of people we're going to be talking with today, and we had promised uh, uh, Derek Wheeler-Smith and Dominique Davis uh, that we want to give them some more time the last time they were on the air last month uh, because they're doing some exciting things. And uh, Haywood and I and the rest of the community needs to hear what these, you know, these men have up in terms of helping others. So, uh, Derek and Dominique, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest again with Haywood Evans and Eddie Rye. Uh, we were very interested in your proposal, uh, to build a facility, uh, to accommodate young men from 16 to 24, uh, also with providing them with the services and Dominique al- already has a reputation for really, uh, helping people get on their feet and Derek, you've been doing it for a while. I think it, it's inherent in your family to be helping folks. Cause that I know over the generations I've seen that. So. Uh, why don't you guys share with us exactly what your plans are? Yeah, um,
1: this is Dominique. I, um, about the facilities, we just feel like uh, after sitting down and talking to uh, some of the young people that we work with on a consistent basis and have put some projects together, we asked them, you know, hey, let's go canvassing around the city and um, let's see what you feel like is missing in your community. What is in your community that you think is missing that could help you guys be successful? Um, You and your peers um, could some tools you guys could use or or some services you guys could use. And so as we walked around the community, um, they started looking around and seeing some things, and we started having conversations. And they came up with the fact that we need a transitional living facility. We need somewhere where we could go, we could get uh, job opportunities, we can get help with education, and we could have somewhere to live. Like a lot of my friends are couch surfing this thing, a lot of my friends are homeless this thing, and those are the um, people that are usually falling into the streets and, and being involved in the gang activities in our community. So we uh, decided, okay, well, let's put a proposal together and go to work on it. So actually this, this whole idea of, uh, of, of getting these facilities built came from a group of about 30 young men and women that uh, grew up in the community and decided
0: that that's what they needed. And so uh, now, in terms of uh, uh, Derek Wheeler Smith, is involved with uh, zero youth detentions. And if there, if uh, Dominique has even indicated, uh, if there was a place like this for young folks to be housed and get employment opportunities, uh, there would definitely reduce the uh, opportunity for them to be incarcerated. So uh, I like to hear from uh, uh, Derek Wheeler Smith exactly what his role is with Zero Youth Detentions and also his work with you on creating this facility.
2: Yeah, thank you uh, so much for having us. Um, You know, I do lead uh, the county Zero Youth Detention work, and for those maybe who might not be familiar, Zero Youth Detention is a strategic plan literally to improve community safety and achieve better outcomes for young people and their families who are at risk of uh, juvenile legal system involvement jury's detention is out of public health and so uh we're taking a a public health approach to intentionally be leveraging and talking and looking at the data that we have that allows us to know we're criminalizing kids for normal adolescent uh behavior when we just talk about you know brain development and so it's important for us to leave a racial equity so while we have experienced i would say uh some tremendous strides i mean we uh you know just 10 years ago we had over Uh, 200-plus young people was the average daily population in juvenile detention, uh, and this week there's 24 young people there, right? And so um, while there has been tremendous progress that's made, uh, we still want to continue to, you know, not become guilty, I would say, of of breaking our arm, patting ourselves on the back, um, but recognizing that there's still uh, work to do uh, to improve the conditions of young people. And I think what becomes important is that we address these structural determinants that are actually impacting these social determinants of health and community, in part because DOM and uh, community passageways and many of these other community-based organizations can continue to do tremendous work in the lives of young people. But what good is it, right, if they send them back into the same environment that made them sick in the first place? And so uh, what DOM offers in terms of being able to have a place, I think, is critical um, because we've heard from young people. And uh, and they've made it clear to us, and even in some of the data that we have collected from young people, uh, one of the things that came back, and that was really clear as we have been doing this work to develop a comprehensive plan and a regional approach around gun violence, you know, one young person said to us, man, listen, it's easier to get a gun than a job. And so, um, so this is for us is really about being able to have spaces and places where we can increase uh, employment and educational opportunities for our young people increase kind of the range and scope of some of these uh community centers and to be able to offer you know mental health services um and examine and address right the fact that our young people can actually have have easier access to a gun uh than they do w- for a job and so we're intentionally uh, you know trying to do this good work uh in community and uh are excited about the plethora of partnerships and we recognize that everybody plays a, a, a role in that right there are some people Everybody has a role in the movement. I think there are some people who are actually grassroots and hands-on, right? And they're actually in the streets. And there's folks who are, uh, you know, strategic partners. Um, And then there are folks, man, maybe who who fund the work, right? And who resource the work. And so we recognize that, and we want to honor all of those different lanes uh, because we're ultimately better together.
3: Well, you know, we really, yeah, we really think that's great, and. uh, can you just share with our listening audience the uh, the therapeutic alternatives and how you use the p circle and then Dominique, if you could just talk about the your four your four uh, pronged approach to community justice
1: yeah um the one of the things we do is uh we want to do we want to be preventive proactive at the, at the at the top of the pipeline so we work in a number of schools presenting some curriculum that are culturally relevant curriculum, helping them develop BSUs and giving them space in the schools and doing these peacemaking and healing circles in the schools so that we can deal with the the trauma that these young people have been through and that they carry into the four walls when they walk into the building. They're carrying all this weight of all the institutional racism um, that has been perpetuated onto their communities and onto their families. And so they walk in with the frustration, and they walk into into in the schools, and the frustration ends up coming out, when they have nowhere to release it. So when we put these peacemaking and the healing circles into the schools, we're giving them space to cry, spaces to laugh, spaces to get angry, spaces to yell. And we have these conversations that are, are, con- are constructive conversations and are facilitated by people that have been through those same um issues that they've dealt with and have, have been able to deal with their stuff at a higher level and are a little older and can sit down and really um, relate to what they're going through. And it makes them feel they love it. They ask for more. Like Some of them don't even want to go to no class after that. They want to stay and keep going. So we provide that space for them in the schools and then we work do the same model in the diversion work that we do. And we're, when we're doing diversion work, trying to keep these kids um, out of the system and we're fighting cases for them and we're getting them jobs and internships and getting them uh, and, and uh, deeper into their education and getting them tutors. And, and also at the same time, building relationship with them and their parents and their guardians, or even the young adults that have their girlfriends in their face. We're building relationships with them and also doing this circle piece and giving them space to do the same model for them to get the stuff out and also providing services for them and then fighting their cases and building them up, walking into the courtroom, sitting side-by-side side with defense attorneys and mitigation with prosecutors, negotiating charges, getting charges lowered, dropped, deferred, or even getting lesser sentences for more serious crimes. Kid might be looking at 10 years. We work with them. We do negotiations. We do mitigations. We might give them five years or two years or three years, letting them know that we're going to support this person while they're locked up. And when they get out, we'll still be here to support that person, to give them a job and get them housing. And the judges look at that and go, well, okay, you know, you got some support. You got community support. Boom. And then we also work with people that are inside the institutions and work on really um, people being reentering re- back into the community. But the Peacemaking and Healing Circle piece is something that we have developed along with other organizations in our own. Own way It's been around forever for centuries, but we've taken it and molded it to address our own community so we can um, have a model that can be uh, repeated throughout the community through other, with other organizations and other people. And we, we support
0: a lot of young people that way. Well, Dominique, could you please give uh, our listening audience your contact information? Because you hit on a, a spot there where a lot of people don't know where to go or who to turn to, and uh, you provide this excellent information. And some folks are uh, listening might need to get in contact with you to get to the, the services that uh, Community Passageways provide. Yeah, we, you can
1: go to communitypassageways.org, and you can go on there and, and, and you can get a hold of me through there, get a hold of us through there. You can fill out referral forms. You can also um, go to my personal email, org, and uh, get a hold of me through there. And um, I'm very available um, I know my schedule is really tight, but I get to people as soon as possible. And we have, uh, we help hundreds and hundreds of kids. We're working with close to 300 different families and kids right now. And um, and in this COVID, time of COVID, we've been doing a lot of assistance with rental assistance, food assistance, um, utility assistance, and um, and a lot of other things um, as far as the gun violence are going on. We have a program called Deep Dive right now where we have 30 kids that are most likely to be shot or shoot somebody in the next year. Um, uh, from the prosecuting attorney's office studies and from our our knowledge of the streets. And so we pulled them in and we're paying them stipends, taking them through training. Um, We're helping these kids. Ten of them got jobs now. Some of them are doing apprenticeship programs. Like Derek said, a job is the answer. A plan is the answer. Hope is the answer. Giving them a chance to make legal money. You know, is the answer because it's easier to get a gun than get a job, like you said. So we have to provide those jobs. We need more employers to step up and open their doors up to say, "Okay, we're not going to do background checks. We want to train these kids and get these kids an opportunity with the support systems that we have from
0: the community. That shouldn't be a problem." So, well, you know, during the Great Society programs that was brought on by Martin Luther King Jr. and others in the Civil Rights Movement, President Lyndon B. Johnson and and the federal government provided the kind of money you're talking about for jobs in the Black communities, for educational opportunities, for job training. The S.Y.C. building, which now will be the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development, also known as S.V.I., is the Central District Community Preservation and Development Authority. And Hayward and I are working right now, along with the board that's been appointed, to bring uh, the the pre-apprenticeship programs operating already with uh, Reverend Willis. But we'll also have some technology classes there. We have commitments from some of the leaders and some of the top technology companies in the area, uh, Indian brothers and sisters who uh, will want to work with the black community and they will provide uh, the, uh, the instructors and they have a, uh, you can see just uh, looking on COVID-19 three out of the five doctors talking are from India. So uh, we have an excellent opportunity to get some of these folks because uh, they can make $100, $120,000 without leaving home. And with this COVID thing, because we have such a great exposure being uh, front frontline workers that we get it more than anybody else. But we also got to take advantage of technology, too. And right. you don't have to have, like they say. a lot of folks say you don't have to have a, a BA or MBA now. You just have to have the technological skills right. uh, to be able to participate. So I just wanted to share that with you. And we'll definitely keep you and, uh, and, you and uh, Derek both uh, apprised of what's going on. And also would invite, I'd like to have you guys come up and uh, do a tour of the building as soon as things are up and running. So, and I had already shared with you about the uh, the largest black developer probably in the country who will be working with us as well. And I'm sure that he was more than happy once he gets done with one project, he does have a development team. So I'm sure he can do a lot of things. Anytime a brother can put up a 26 story building in LA and build one in South Lake Union, I think he can do anything in our community. So I'll get out. I'll stop singing his praises, but I just want to keep hope alive.
2: Absolutely. I just want to add to that that I think, you know, what coincides with that is an agricultural program uh, that Dom and I have developed uh, that is remarkable that provides some of those trade opportunities that you're talking about for young people, but it allows for uh, 30 young people at any given time to be a part of the program, uh, to have two years of their college paid for, and to be able to receive a stipend. I think what's profound and most beautiful about this particular structure that we created is that uh, it has an economic component to it that allows it to be sustainable, right? And so really what we're asking for is not to create the kind of environment that says, give me a fish, nor are we saying, teach me how to fish, but really we're at a space where we're going, the next level is really about getting access to the pond. Because if we get access to the pond and we get sustainable, then now we start talking about building the type of generational resources Um, that allows us to be able to transform and change these different social determinants of health. I think it's easy to talk about certain communities without recognizing that some of these communities, people didn't fall, trip and fall into the barrios and ghettos of America. These things are social constructs of the American government. And so it's easy to say, hey, those folks have a crab in a barrel mentality. But we have to start having the conversation about the fact that crabs don't live, nor do crabs grow up in buckets. Right, and so How much <laughs> of the behavior of crabs is because of the habitat and because of the environment? Well, our kids don't grow up in ghettos right? and in these broke-down barrios. Many of the behaviors and things that are happening are just a construct of the environment that they're in, and so we must transform and change the environment. And So we're excited and happy to partner with anybody uh, who really wants to continue to lean in uh, to being able to support us in doing this work.
0: Hey, Derek Willis-Smith, Ritter- give up your contact information as well because somebody wants to call you. And uh, pursue what you're talking about. So uh, let people know how they can get in touch with you.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you can uh, reach me, of course, uh, at dwheelersmith at kingcounty.gov. Uh, uh, you can uh, highlight and see some of the work that's happening at zero youth uh, dot com. Um And you can find me on, uh, you can find Zero Youth Detention on Twitter and many of the other uh, social media platforms as well.
3: Uh, If I can just get this one question in before we have to go. Uh, The Seattle Public Schools, under their African-American Male Initiative, have they came by to help you or doing anything for you? Seattle Public Schools. I
2: think that there's a lot of collaborative work uh, that's happening, as we are all uh, wanting to be more intentional, recognizing that we're serving many of the same uh, populations of young people. Uh, And so, um, you know, you have the likes of Brother Anthony Shoecraft, uh, Dr. Mia, who I've had some conversations with, and we've been looking at some work, too, around developing through the school-based health centers a school-based diversion program model where we start to look at and say, hey, guess what? Behavior is a part of health. So behavior is a part of health. How do we do the good work to make sure that we understand what's happening and what's going on in the lives of kids so that we set them up to be successful? Because we have to stop pushing kids out of our schools because those are the same kids that end up right in the system. And so we're doing a lot of work to move upstream um, and and really begin to address some of these compounded traumas that some of our kids have begun to normalize
0: but haven't had anybody in the space to unpack that with them, right? And so, okay, Derek and Dominique, we're not have to go right now. Well. But, but I want you guys to be regulars because you bring a lot of information dealing with a lot of the issues that are very near and dear to a lot of parents and young people's hearts. So uh, I want to make sure that we at least get you guys to have a monthly report so you can tell us what you're doing. And then we also want to get together with Hayward offline to make sure we can be of any assistance in terms of uh, developing that structure that you guys are going to build to uh, house young people and help them on their way. So thank you all very much today, and we'll be in touch frequently. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Appreciate you. Okay, appreciate you too, and what you're doing. Okay, our next guest is uh, Clyde Merriweather. Clyde has been featured. If you go online at to clmedium.com, Seattle, I think SeattleMediumNews.com, you can see a couple of the pieces that uh, uh, his opinions that were on the editorial page of the Seattle Medium regarding uh, the situation with the Seattle School District, the mass exodus of uh, black folks, and Hayward just just mentioned uh, the black uh, male initiative, and uh, I guess Will Clyde will tell us who's uh, who handling that right now. But Clyde Merriweather, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with Hayward Evans and Andy Rye.
4: And My why don't pleasure. you
0: give our listeners an update on all the responses that you've received from your letters to Seattle uh, School Superintendent Denise Juno and the school board.
5: Well, off the top, uh, not that much. Got a couple of uh, responses back from the school board, but only have spoken with one. Uh, We'll get back together with him as as time passes, but, you know, I've sort of like shifted my direction here trying to figure out uh, about the practice operations administration of Seattle School District as it relates to why or what's happening to African Americans in terms of – males – in terms of being uh, removed, displaced, and otherwise. And and the deeper I look into it, the more I'm starting to find a a different set of problems, and I'm wondering – whether or not the motivation for the removal of African-American males is more, uh, is more than systemic racism, but it appears to be there's a practice of uh, cronyism and, and nepotism, you know, free up a position and, and put some relatives or some friends in, in, in those positions. So I've been getting into talking to people who uh, have been through this process of, of being displaced and getting their upper stories and then trying to track down who's replaced them. And uh, it's not the best of stories. So I'm getting ready to write another article in the medium that that deals with uh, what's been happening and then what transpired after it happened.
3: You know, Clyde, every time I pick up, you know, I was trying to do a little research on, on the superintendent and most of the articles that I've read are pretty positive. So, I mean, I, what's, what's really going on there at the school because I know they really haven't bridged that, Excuse me, bridge that achievement gap. What's up in the schools
5: from really, our observation? I, I went as far as uh, having somebody trying to track what her track record was back in Montana, and I didn't find anything that was uh, terribly bad there either. So I, I don't know how much of this is Juno versus how much of this is the school district's systematic just operation procedure. But it does not change the fact that that, that procedure keeps displacing African Americans. Mm. So I, I don't know if it's her pushing this agenda, the board pushing the agenda, or since this is the way we've always done business, you know, I give my cousin a job, I give my this a job, et cetera, et cetera. I got to find a spot, and it's always the black guy that gets pushed out when I need a spot for somebody else. And so I'm just—I yeah. I really can't speak to it because she's never responded to me, and I, and and I don't have any direct on that. You know, in, interestingly,
3: has anyone from the school board reached out to you?
5: Yeah, I've spoken with one. uh, That was uh, Brandon Hersey, and and, uh, we're going to get back together again next week. But he's the new kid on the block, uh, African-American from Mississippi, been in Seattle for uh, six years, plus or minus, got appointed to Patu's position. Uh, But in talking to him, he's not been included in any real decision-making positions. He's just like a placeholder. Uh, First question I asked him when I talked to him, I said, look, man, are you Clarence Thomas or are you Thurgood Marshall? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I want to know who I'm talking. I want to know whether or not you're here as a a representative of the school board trying to track me down or whether or not you're here from your own volition and really want to deal with the problem. He appears to be open to wanting to deal with the problem, so I I will uh, get deeper into that. But, no, nobody else from the uh, council, and I I certainly have not heard the reasons and the rationales for the seven people I listed as relates to why were they displaced, why did they quit, why were they forced out, leveraged out, demoted, or whatever – I just really want to know why it happened, and now I'm tracking the and what happened to those positions after.
3: And did he say he's going to research that for you and get back with you on it?
5: Ah, man, I don't know. I'm I'm going for it. (laughs) You know, I don't want to compromise him. In fact, even even saying this, in fact, everybody that I've talked to, the stories I'm getting ready to tell, uh, all of them have some reason why they really don't want to be exposed. You know, some of them are still working there, some of them don't need it for their ongoing resumes, you know. It's so so I'm trying to dig into the what, but but nobody wants to really be out there on the block. And since I'm the guy out here outside the block, I'm just telling the stories.
3: Wow. And so just in summation for our listening audience, what is the story from your observation right now?
5: Uh, my story, gosh, man, I'll tell you, I'm still trying to draw my ultimate conclusions, but uh, I think I pretty much stated it. Uh, blacks are getting displaced. I don't think it's all racial. I think it's systematic, and I think it's a good old boy network within the school board system that, that deals with who we're going to put in what position. Because, I mean, some of the people I'm finding out that got put in the new positions, they get dismissed six months later because they weren't competent to do the job. I've got competent African-Americans wedding, ready to stand up and actually do some work in the school district and they cannot seem to get a foothold. So that that's where we start talking about whether or not it's systemic racism. I, I, I can't testify to that. I'm looking into it.
3: And a gentleman on the, uh, the school board, the African-American brother, uh, has he been conducting any kind of community events or any kind of outreach or a zoom to, to just discuss issues from his observation?
5: He, I don't think so, but, you know, he's not been empowered to do that. I mean, he, he's been more than open talking to me, but whether or not he's been in the school district and in the system, alone, like he wants, to, he wants to meet and greet and talk to all the old people that have been there, just like I'm doing, so he can get, his good, get a good foothold on it. But, no, he didn't speak of that, and I, and I didn't ask the question whether or not he'd done that, so I can't, can't testify. Can I ask
3: you who nominated him for his appointment?
5: Uh, that one I don't know, and, and it's certainly one of the questions I will be asking, but uh, like I said, he was put in there as, as 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 much as anything else, I think, as a placeholder, because he's not been invited into the inside kitchen cabinet to talk about what needs to be done, and he's just as perplexed as I am as it relates to, for instance, why the African-American community wasn't invited in to discuss uh, how the school is going to reopen under a COVID situation. Since we are the ones <laughs> going to be most impacted, why is the black community not been invited in to talk about how we're going to go about doing
0: it? Clyde, I just want to interject. Uh, we see the top-ranking black males have departed the CL School District. There you go. And uh, the other thing that opened up is there's a position for a black male initiative. And it's my understanding that Dr. Robert Gary Jr., or uh, the principal of Cleveland, uh, George Breland were not interviewed. And it's my further my understanding that a white female has been put in charge of the black male initiative. Uh, I've
5: already tracked that and absolutely correct. And and, and for some reason, uh, the school district's able to go outside of the general regional area here to find somebody white <laughs> to work on a position, but they don't do the research to go find somebody black. And we do have competent people here in the state that could take those positions. I don't think personal opinion. I don't think anybody wants an, an African American advocate in that position. I'll put a black well, face in that position, but I, you know, somebody that will just do their job, but not somebody that will actually come out and fight for the rights.
3: Well, Clyde, uh, Clyde, cultural competence is critical in that type of position. Totally. How are you gonna run a program for black folk? And you got all these black folk looking up to this white person. Come on. I mean, I understand we need to remove these barriers, but cultural competence is important in terms of developing self-esteem, particularly in
5: young people. Well, look, you aspire to be what you see as possible. If I can't even see anybody at the top, I'm not aspiring to Mm -hmm. be there. So so you're absolutely Mm -hmm. correct.
0: Wow. Anyway, Clyde, um, stay on the case, and I look forward to reading your next piece. When will that be published in the Seattle Media?
5: Uh, that depends on the media. I've already written my my, um, my first rough draft and it's pretty much a story of somebody that spent eight years in the system and, and how the game was played and that's where I started tracking into the nepotism and the cronyism. Because because how yeah, she got displaced with, somebody, with somebody, somebody you know, that kind of stuff. So so like I said, I don't know if that's a mechanism or if that's a purpose. Okay.
0: But, you, but uh, I'm other- tracking is that our, our Native American brothers and sisters from the, uh, the Urban Native uh, Education Alliance, Unia with Sarah Sense Wilson, they have requested uh, audits for Title I and Title VI money, and they've been told by the Seattle School District Legal Office that they can't have the audits. And I never understood how <laughs> any public entity could deny a citizen access to public information. So uh, we, they,
5: they get their example from Trump. <laughs> <laughs> no, some tax return. How can you not give the information supposed to be public <coughs> information?
0: Okay, I was so, just curious. Anyway, I, I
5: don't. Uh, let me get back on. next I, I have something bad. to
0: say. But Chris, B. Bennett to see all mediums to request that. That might have a little bit more impact than me. So that, that might that might be something that we may, might have to do. So, well, well anyway, come on, track them out. Glad you stand on the case, brother. uh we want to have you on right after you do your next piece, so we can talk about it further, and want to see if you got a response from the superintendent Denise Juno or any of the other school board members. So it just seems that, uh, and you know that the lady at Leschi, the principal Leshie, uh, uh, devoted here. Yeah. yeah, the super, superintendent fired her went on April 28th and 29th, while schools were not even open, fired that sister. So anyway, I just have have a serious problem with that. So Clyde, well, thanks say, for you know, so the, the, one,
5: the one thing I will say is. is my gentleman that I had tracking um, tracking Juno in Montana, I didn't get a call back from Juno directly, but somehow somebody in Montana called Juno and, and she called my source. So could have called me and, Yeah. <laughs> she could have called me, but but she called to find out who was checking on her.
0: Ho oh, oh, ho oh, okay. <laughs> so keep digging my brother. Keep digging. We appreciate you. You'll be on soon. Okay. All right. Thanks, my Okay. So, uh, Eric, we're going to take a break and uh, come back with
4: uh, Brother Dash after this. Why sit in bumper to bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail, just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress.
6: Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion. And to leveling the playing field, that means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend Port Gen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at Port Seattle. Org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Bored with the other stations hammering away on the same old talking points? Try Alternative Talk 1150 and get some variety.
0: Whatever the Eddie Ryan back Urban Forum Northwest. Uh, want to just say that i uh, want to thank Sound Transit small business development labor compliance office uh, the city of seattle's uh, purchasing and construction services office liz alzer the port of seattle diversity contracting office with me and rice concourse concessions may Pupahara SeaTac tac bar group llc rod whitson and jerry rod o'neill and jerry whitson uh they're still waiting for the traffic to pick back up at c and then stephanie Ogle handles our uh technology and uh she is going to be real busy uh, the next uh, couple of months with all the things we have going on. As a matter of fact, uh, the MLKCC website, we we'll to get the humming in a minute, and hey, was going to talk a little bit about the, the uh, arts contest that is going to be sponsored by the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee.
3: Yeah, and you know, thank, thank you for that, Eddie. We're going to announce the art contest at the 57th anniversary March in Washington Uh, where we're going to have the award ceremony. And again, it's going to be streamed live. And to the listening audience, you're going to hear more about that. But that's when we're going to announce the art contest. Uh, The art contest theme is MLK Jr. Visions of Unity. What is your vision of unity? And so the question is, well, why? You know, Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee. Our mission is is to preserve, educate, and empower people where we host various events throughout the year that highlight the civil rights movement. Uh, due, to, due to the coronavirus and Governor Inslee's stay home, stay healthy order, uh, the MLK committee said, no, we're gonna cancel it this year because last year we were in the Seafair Torchlight Parade where we had the first African-American float in over 30 years. And I'm proud to say, and Eddie, you know this because you marched in the parade with us, you know, uh, it, we won first place for workmanship. Well, this year we're diverting it and changing it to the first annual art contest because we believe it's important for every person to have a sense of belonging and to feel valued. And art, that that self-expression is healing, life-enhancing, and people can do it while practicing social distancing. We wanted to make sure everybody in King County would have an opportunity to participate. So the contest categories are from Uh, youth, pre-K, anybody, all the way up to the 6th grade, and then the young adults, 7th grade to 12th grade, and then adults 18 and over. Uh, There's five different categories. Visual art, that's the painting, photography, sculpture, uh, performance arts, music. If you're a musician or a song for a singer, uh, spoken word, dance, theater, Uh, literary literary work poetry speech short story a play and then technology which i'm sort of excited about that one but using technology and social media computer graphics or some kind of software design to promote civil rights and equality i think that i think that one's great and last but not least number five and again this one's close to my heart martin luther king a civil rights memorial park. You know, the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee was instrumental in having that name changed two years ago from just Martin Luther King Memorial Park to Martin Luther King Civil Rights Memorial Park, where we focus on some of the local people who, who frankly, when they pass away, they get lost. Their stories get lost to the ages. Well, that fifth area of competition is uh, design improvements in the park to make it more uh, recreational and educational friendly. And for those who don't know, that park is at 2200 Martin Luther King Junior Way South. Uh, Right now, there are no restrooms there. There are no play areas for young people. And we think that's critical. That's critical. And our long-term goal is to make that park an internationally recognized tourist attraction. When you come to Seattle, you got to go by Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Park to get a true, true feel for the city. Uh, under the issue of vision of unity, well, well, what's your vision of unity? And you know, unity comes in all all shapes and sizes. It could be from multicultural. It could be something that represents political polarization. What can we do to improve uh, people talking? We can talk about diversity in Seattle, intergenerational relationships. Because again, we're talking about unity. What's the foundation of unity in your mind? What type of, is there a uh, is there a, a program or software that can be developed that uh, that would be challenging, people would enjoy, but in a game format. But again, focuses on the principles that embodied the life of Dr. King: nonviolence. And equality, social justice, and I, and that's what we're looking for out here. It, it's, it's about social justice, uh, discrimination, and we can even do something that you know for the artist. I'm just trying to stimulate thought then and now. What was going on in the '50s and in the '60s in terms of the civil rights effort, and what's and how do you view what transpired then today? And again, we have all various venues, so there's no reason why, and I'm, I'm sharing this with y'all, there's no reason why all everybody out there shouldn't participate. We're not looking for professionals and greatness, but we're just looking for everybody to show their, their vision of unity. And I think considering the pandemic and considering uh, what's going on in our uh, community, considering the fact that me, I like uh, Chief Carmen Best, I, I feel, hey, that can represent vision of unity. What happened to her?
0: Yeah. Well, Hayward, we need to take a break. Uh, we got a Rom Dixon from uh, 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 the uh, Alliance of Persecuted People worldwide is going to be calling in shortly. We missed getting that Boodoo dash. So, Eric, we can take a break right quick and uh, come back with Rom.
6: Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend Port Gin Workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com.
4: Why sit in bumper to bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City Tukwila, and the airport, Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination. And listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress.
6: Alternative Talk 1150, local talk for the body, mind, and soul.
0: All right, the Hayward Evans and Eddie Ride back at uh, Urban Forum Northwest. Uh, we're trying to hook up with uh, uh, Ron Dixit. Uh, Saturday is uh, India Independence Day on August 15, uh, 1947. Uh, the, uh, India got, got out of British rule, the Mountbatten plan, and so if we do have a representative from the Uh, india community we have rom dixon on right now rom how are you doing i'm doing good brother dash Uh, brother eddie how are you okay i'm glad that you were able to take the call so i just could not ignore the fact that saturday is uh, india india independence day and we had had brother dash lined up never told what happened but if you could just take a few minutes and just share with our listeners uh what that day means and uh how things are going right now uh with the uh american uh, uh, the india american community
7: sure uh, and you know august 15th every year it's a very emotional day for indians around the world because you know that is the day that india became free of the colonial rule of the british india became a free country and on january 26th a couple of years later we became a sovereign democratic republic so it's it's a really momentous day now i also want to say this august 15th is going to be even more significant because of the recent announcement that you know joe biden made as a if kamala harris as his uh running mate because as all of you know she's half indian you know her mom is from uh was from india so it's a proud moment for Indians around the world, uh, including uh, Indians here in the United States. And it's a moment for us to sort of step back, you know, reflect on how far India's come, how far India as a country has to go, and the role Indian-Americans here in the United States play, you know, Working with other communities or brothers and sisters in the Black community, Latino community, etc., truly really help uh, drive the United States forward as well, and the India-U.S. strategic partnership.
0: And that's a greatest. I'm happy that we've got got started. So, uh, I guess uh, on Sunday morning, people will see that uh, your, your words and your, your and your deeds are have been put in action. Indeed,
7: indeed. Because, you know, uh, on the day of, you know, commemorating India's Independence Day on August 15th, you know, one of the things a number of Indian Americans in the greater Seattle area, what we're doing is we're pulling together to help uh, one of the uh, tiny villages, uh, communities in Seattle. Uh, you know, we're going to be starting out with a. Um, a uh, 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 food distribution and from there we're going to look at how we can sort of expand the collaboration bring some of the capabilities and expertise that the Indian American community has here whether it's around tutoring after school tutoring for kids and other things so it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a, an important day and it's going to be a proud day for all of us
0: and we certainly do appreciate your cooperation and what you're doing for our community and uh, so I guess uh, uh, we will definitely have a working relationship, and we also look forward to uh, the suggestions that you have. I know it's a little premature, but uh, the tech companies that are being pulled together to assist in the training of, of specifically African descendants of the United States enslaved, the blacks who have been here uh, with the technology skills they need to not just be on the front line serving and dying all the time, but uh, living a comfortable life and moving back to the CD. Eric, do we have uh, Don, Mason, uh, Don Hunter on yet? Okay. Well, Ron. hey, thanks, man. I'll see you Saturday uh, for the event. Thank you. Tick care, Eddie. Thank you very much, everybody. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. Don Hunter. Is, is this the Director of Aviation Management? This is. Good, yes. good afternoon. How are you? Fine. Hayward and I want to congratulate you. Uh You've been elevated. So you've been elevated to the Director of Aviation Commercial Management at Seattle Tacoma International Airport. And I know it's the first sister to ever have the job, but this is the year of the black (laughs) woman. Thank you. I appreciate that. But then again, in my house, they say every year is the year of the black woman. I (laughs) (laughs) said, right on, y'all. Amen. (laughs) So so I can't argue with that.
8: Well, you have definitely
0: raised a very beautiful and
8: dynamic young woman in Angela, and she has served as a source of inspiration
0: for African-American women across the country. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. I sure sure appreciated that. But anyway, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, about your new responsibilities uh, out of Seattle Tacoma International Airport. I know things are kind of slow because a lot of folks are not traveling. I'm afraid to get on the airplane or a cruise ship right now. But uh, anyway, tell us what's happening with this new elevation to the director of aviation uh, management
8: so um, thank you for this platform as you're aware um, I was a senior manager for the airport dining and retail program Uh, I came to Seattle about a little over three years ago and as you know when I walked into that particular program there were a lot of issues um, with um, equity and diversity in the program and worked very hard for the past three years to make sure that we had a program that was fair and inclusive for all people doing business at the airport. So with my new position, um, that includes uh, airport dining and retail, but I also have ground transportation, but includes the taxis, the rental car facilities, the limousines, um, and also the airport um, building and the parking structure. So it just expanded my scope of work, and hopefully I can bring uh, an equity lens to all the lines of business that we have here at the airport to make it equitable for everybody. So more work, but um, up to the challenge, and I appreciate um, the faith that the airport has put in me, and I also have to also thank Mr. Lance Little, who is the Aviation Managing Director here, who is very good at finding talent and has brought that out of me and has given me this opportunity, and I appreciate it.
0: Well, you know what, Uh, I just want to say that you've been doing a real good job because we only had one demonstration out there since you've been there.
3: (laughs) Well,
8: you know what, that that woke me up. I I came and I honestly was not aware of what was happening here. And because of your voice and your activism and uh, the whole coalition, uh, it brought a light to a lot of things that were happening that we were able to look at and address
0: and you guys been doing a good job i have to give it to you you've been doing a good job it also was real helpful to get rid of a few people too uh, it was, <laughs> i'll leave leave that alone but i uh, hear would you have a question or comment but, for
3: yeah don first you know you know we're so so very very proud of you always have been since you first got here you've been pushing that envelope pushing the envelope and now you're going to be leading a critical part of the airport's economy now, Eddie and I, we were on the phone, it was yesterday, the day before, with, with the uh, Port Commission President, Peter Steinbeck. And so we have an art contest coming up and we're looking, hopefully, and we're doing, exploring it now, but down the line, some of the winning artwork will be displayed at the airport. All places. Oh, wonderful. Uh, tra- yeah, oh, yes, yeah. so you're gonna be hearing about this and we're gonna be definitely getting with you, but we're going to announce it at the 57th anniversary of the March on Washington. For Jobs and Freedom, and that's uh, August 28th. We're going to officially kick off the art contest. You're going to get all the information around it. But, but can you just share with our listening audience, with COVID-19, how is it going at the airport? Do you see an increase in a, a, a foot traffic or, or ridership on the planes?
8: So uh, with COVID-19, April was our lowest point where we were uh, down about 97% of of passengers and we have seen an uptake um in in passenger um uh, traveling through i think the biggest thing for us is we wanted to make sure that the passengers understood that they were coming into a safe clean environment and so the airport has this fly healthy sea initiative that includes all lines of business that people know when you come we're clean we're gonna make sure that you're safe and you know get you on the plane safely and I know, you know, airlines like Delta are still blacking out the middle seats and so making it even safer. And so I just, it's, it's a difficult thing because summertime is really our, our large cruise season and that's what we saw a um, majority of our numbers. And as you know, the cruise season was uh, canceled this year. So our numbers are still down, but we're hopeful based on the Seattle economy with all of our giants and in industry here that that recovery will be sooner than later
3: the airport dining yeah. and retail industry there at the airport uh, what's being done to protect them because I know it has to be super tough on the uh, the uh, license holders for dining or retail.
8: So um, you mean the businesses themselves or what we're doing to keep yes, the, the, bis-
3: the businesses themselves.
8: So um, as you know um, when Governor Inslee um, made his proclamation back in late March, He included the airport dining and retail in that uh, proclamation, which calls, you know, called for the closure of uh, sit down restaurants, bars, specialty retail. And so uh, that could not produce grab and go. And so that uh, was a large portion of our population here at the airport. So folks were closed uh, end of March, April, May with some recovery in June. And so um, with that, we um, we wanted to look at it in a very fair and equitable way and say, okay, if people were forced to close, what can we do to them uh, for them um, to give them some form of relief? And so uh, last month, uh, June 11th, I believe it was a commission meeting. Actually, we're in August. Oh, good night. So two months ago, um, the commission agreed uh, that we would extend some relief to the tenants. So we have eliminated their minimum annual guarantee to the end of the year we have deferred a four months of um, percentage rent uh, storage fees and other auxiliary fees and they they have until the end of 2023 to pay those deferred rents back and then we gave an additional uh, three years to the ADR tenants and then the small business kiosk we gave an additional year and we just wanted to provide some relief on the back end when we feel um uh, traffic will recover so that people will be able to uh, make back the money that was uh, lost during the pandemic.
3: And see, that's why I love your strategic thinking. That's why you're supposed to be Director of Aviation and Commercial Management. <laughs> uh.
7: Uh,
8: yeah, we're, you know, and, you know, just looking across the country, um, you know, we've we've given a lot more relief than some of the other airports. Um, and there's some people that have taken the position while well, you sign the contract, deal with it. But we wanted to make sure that we um, kept the viability of all of our small and minority businesses and our large businesses as well at as, as the airport because we're a community and the airport, the um, airlines, and the concessions are all part of that community. So we need to protect all three.
3: Is it hurting the car rentals and parking? How's that coming along? Because usually when I go to the airport, your parking lot's still packed. <laughs>
8: So parking is, is picking back up. We have launched our pre-book system. And so um, we've seen an uptake in people pre-booking uh, their parking. And what we're trying to do right now is put together this, uh, a, a one-stop system. where when you go to the Seattle um, app uh, for the airport, you're able to book a parking space. You're able to uh, purchase your food. If you want to go in a lounge, you're able to do that as well. And so we just want to make it a more cohesive um, environment. So these are the kind of things that we're working on with our customer service and our innovation departments to make sure that we have just this seamless um, interaction uh, with all of our streams of business. And, of course, want we'll to make a little bit more money so we can generate more uh, non-aeronautical revenue so we can do more things to enhance the airport.
3: Is there anything we can do as a non-flying public right now? Amen. Like to fly later, but the non flying public to support the airport businesses. Is there anything I can do as a private citizen?
8: Um, you know, at this point, well, we would love for you to fly, but I do understand um, why people have some, some apprehension. I think the biggest thing that you could do is while these businesses, and it's a nationwide cry, um, I know they're lobbying Congress for a $3.5 billion bill. Uh, to be part of the next CARES Act that would go with the airlines and the airports. So there's a nationwide cry for them to be part of the stimulus so that they can survive. And so I think the best thing that we could do is to lobby our senators to say, please support this bill that when the CARES Act comes through, that concessions are also part of that money, because these are small local businesses who need our support. Any
0: yeah oh no i was just just uh, li- listening and Oh uh, yeah no i was just just listening uh uh because i i think that so what percentage uh uh don what what percentage uh is of the travelers back through CTAC right now
8: oh i don't um i don't honestly i don't know where we are where the july numbers were um but I can get that information for you. But I know it's. I know our lowest point was April. That was ninety-seven percent, and I think we're somewhere in the 70th percentile. But um, I don't know that information offhand. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. Well, anyway, I just want to want to congratulate you. Uh, for, for doing an outstanding job, and uh, I also want to congratulate Lance. I guess he's in in uh, Jamaica now, right? Yes,
8: he is uh, taking a nice, lovely vacation. And yeah, I
0: hear you. Well. <laughs> Uh, well, as long as you can avoid the COVID, you'll be all right. So, uh, 900, thank you very much. <laughs> if anything comes up, you got a platform here. Give Hayward and I get a call and you definitely have access. So thank you very much. Thank and you congratulations. for having me. Thank All right. And, and we're going to send you information on the art contest. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I want to let everybody know that we want to thank, uh, the Sound Trust, and Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and the Construction Services Office the Port of Seattle University Contracting Office, Concourse and Sessions, SeaTac Broad Group, LLC, and Stephanie Ogle with SoulSys Media for technological support. He will now be talking with you again next Thursday. Thank you very much, Eric.